In this episode of the revelation of Jesus Christ, we're going to see Jesus as we've never seen him before. Yeah, we saw him once when he came to earth in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we have never seen him this way. Glad you tuned into Life 66. This is Pastor Greg, and we are looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 20 in our study of the Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, and uh, let's jump right in to chapter 1 of the Revelation to get a brief review, uh, some main points that we need to understand about this book. First is it's the Revelation, singular. Uh, Many people want to call this book Revelations. Uh, There's just one revelation. revelation. It's singular, and it's the revelation of Jesus, who he really is, The, the powerful, awesome, sovereign creator of the world, the one who said, let there be light, then the one who came as the Messiah, and the one who's going to come again. And uh, the way things are going on in our culture, he may be coming a lot sooner than we think. This is also a unique book in verse 3, is that it says it's the only book that comes with a blessing. It says, blessed are you when you read this book. No other book in the Bible says that. And then, of course, it's about the things to come. Some things that have occurred prior uh, in the first century when John wrote it, some things immediately after, but some things in our future. So let's jump in to verse 9 through verse 20. Let's start reading, and then we'll dive in. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and... I was dead, and behold, I am alive for, forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven, church, uh, are the seven churches. What I want to focus on today are four verbs that... Uh, are here in this particular passage. I heard, I turned, I saw, and I fell. This is the reaction of what happens to us when we see Jesus face to face. Verse 10, I heard. John heard his voice. Verse 12, I turned. John turned to face him. When you hear God's voice, you need to turn the other way. That's what repentance means, a 180 degree turn. It says, I saw in verse 12, Jesus saw him in his fullness. The truth was realized. And in verse 17, when he saw that, he fell at his feet, a posture of worship and surrender. In this passage, we're going to see Jesus, the Son of Man, in his glorified state. 
and in the awesomeness of who he really is. So let's jump in. This is the third introduction of John. He's already in, uh, introduced himself three, uh, two times before, once in verse 1 and once in verse 4. And again, now in verse 9, he says, I, John. It's pretty clear who this author is. And he says, I am a partner in suffering and in patient endurance. All these early church uh, disciples and apostles, they suffered greatly for the kingdom. And Jesus said, don't be surprised if we suffer today because of the kingdom. He said it would be about Jesus, not about us. So he's on the, on the island of Patmos because of the ministry of the gospel. At that time, Domitian, uh, who was the emperor, exiled him to this small island off the coast of Turkey near the city of Ephesus, a barren, rocky place with no vegetation. And tradition tells us that John was first boiled in oil before he was sent there. What a horrible thing. Um, but he did ultimately make it off the island, tradition says, uh, and, and was a leader in some capacity before his death. He's certainly suffering and had suffered for the gospel. And even then, the Lord planned the revelation to, give him, uh, to be given to him on this barren place. You know, sometimes when we're in our lowest points, God visits us in special ways. And here is no different. Let's look at these verbs. Verb number one, I heard. When John was on the island, it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. There's much discussion about what that means. Uh, is it the day of the Lord? Is it, uh, you know, what, what is the Lord's day exactly? My personal opinion is that it was Sunday. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says the believers met on a Sunday, the, f- the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says that, that the first day is set aside uh, for your tithe. And so it's my contention that the day of the Lord simply meant, or the Lord's day simply meant the day in which, you know, we worship the Lord. And John was probably doing that. First day came along, and he was worshiping. It says he was in the spirit. That uh, you know, what exactly in the spirit means? Well, the Bible talks about there being two dimensions: the flesh and the spirit. In uh, another uh, one of the epistles, it says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, the 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 flesh and the spirit differentiated. So John may have been praying. He may have been praising the Lord. He may have been just meditating. Um, whatever in the spirit meant to John means that he was communing uh, in that beautiful spirit realm with God. While he was doing that, Jesus comes and visits him in the spirit. He says, I was in the spirit and I heard. It's really important for us to realize we've got to be in the position to hear from God. John purposely went to pray, to seek God. And while he was there, God spoke that it was God's voice that aroused him. And when he heard this voice, it, was said, it says it was like a trumpet. It was loud. 82 times in the book of the Revelation, it speaks of, of something being loud. 20 times, it's a loud voice. Revelation is a loud book. There's all kinds of just big sounds and thunder and lightning and roaring. And in this case, it's like a trumpet blast. Think of somebody speaking like the the blast of a trumpet. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about Jesus' return with a trumpet. Well, what, what that voice says is this, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now we're going to meet those seven churches in chapters two and three. Question is, why these seven churches? Well, we don't entirely know exactly why. We have some ideas possibly, and we'll get into that when we get into chapter two and three. But it says, write, verse 19, write what you have seen, past, what is now, 
and what will take place later. And we're going to see that's the layout of the whole book of the Revelation. What is, what was, and what is to come. So I turned and I heard. The next two verbs, or rather, I, I heard. Then he says, I turned in uh, verse 12. When we hear God's voice, it's up to us to turn. Turning means pointing ourselves toward God. And if we can apply that to our own lives, it's a word for repentance. Now, John didn't repent. He heard the voice and he turned toward it. But for us today, when we hear God's voice, we should turn toward it. We can run, but that trumpet blast of a voice is not going to give up seeking us. So John did that. He turned. When he turned, he saw the third verb. And what he saw was incredible. Here, let's describe what he saw. He saw seven golden lampstands. Now, this may be seven separate stands, but most scholars believe it's the seven-pronged menorah that you often see in, uh, in the picture of the, of the tabernacle or the temple. And the high priest, of course, was in charge of keeping the lampstand trimmed, uh, the wicks trimmed, and the oil uh, plentiful, so that lamp would continue to burn. Verse 20 tells us what these lampstands is. It's the seven churches that he was just told to write about. Uh, and Jesus is standing in the midst of those lampstands. Revelation 2.1 says he walks amongst the lampstands. Where is he now? He's in our midst. Where are we right now? We're in his hand. That he's got us. He's never going to let us go. He's going to build his church. And we are that church. Where two or three are gathered together, he's in our midst, Matthew 18.20 says. We are his body. He's our head. So he saw this he saw these golden lampstands represented above the church. He also saw a, like someone like the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus' favorite description for himself, Son of Man. 85 times in the Gospels, this word, a phrase, Son of Man, is used. 83 of them, Jesus used them about himself. That God became man to suffer and to live like us so that he could become our merciful high priest, that he could be our substitute that we are broken, we are beaten, we are sinful, but the perfect Son of God came and He lived like us, but yet not with sin, so that He could be our substitute, so that He could fix what was broken, that He could satisfy the law, the wages of sin is death. He could satisfy that and then give us His righteous, righteousness. Now, this, this is not the same Jesus we can already uh, imagine from the Gospels. Uh, Isaiah says that this Jesus that we see then somebody who was not very attractive, someone that, that wasn't beautiful, that you would want to look at him and admire him. So he was a normal guy and possibly even homely. But in chapter one of Revelation, that's not the Jesus we see. We see a glorified, uh, radiant, uh, imperishable, sovereign God clothed in glory. And we're going to see him face to face one day. Well, what did the son of man look like? Well, there's a description says he was dressed in a robe down to his feet, and that robe was girded around his chest with a golden sash. That robe is a picture of majesty. It's the long garment of wealth and royalty like the high priest would wear. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 talks about God wearing this robe, and the train of his robe fills the temple. I mean, think of a bride with that long train that flows behind her. Well, this image of Jesus, he's wearing a robe and the train, the length of his robe fills the entire temple. It's majestic and it's amazing. And that speaks of his majesty, his royalty. He's the king. 
It says his hair, uh, his head and hair were white like wool and snow. White is a color of purity. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 speaks of that purity and the white hair of wisdom that Daniel chapter 7 and 13 or chapter 7 verse 9, 13, 22 speaks of the ancient of days having white hair, that there is this wisdom and this purity of God, that his eyes are like blazing fire. Hebrews 4, 13 says that he knows everything. He sees everything we do. Nothing is hidden from him. And these eyes like fire is that picture of his penetrating, all-knowing truth uh, that, that what he sees is, is everything. And he sees deeply into our hearts and into our minds. This is not an angry look, but a perfect, purifying look. It's not a condemning look, but it's... it's it's, 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 a fire is a type of judgment, but God is not judging us here. That, that You see, you can judge something for its purity or you can judge something to destroy it. Fire will either destroy or purify depending on the substance it touches. If you put, touch fire to straw, it will destroy it. You touch fire to gold, it will purify it. God sees everything we do and his intent is to penetrate and to purify us in every way he can. He loves us so much that he can't take his eyes off of us. It says his feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. Numbers 21 and John 3 speak of bronze being a, a metal that is connected to judgment. In Numbers, it speaks of the bronze serpent in the wilderness with the snake on it to judge those that had turned away. And so when you see bronze in, this, in the passage, or in the Bible rather, um, it speaks of judgment, that, that he's going to put all sin under his feet. He can judge and put things under his feet, for it was those feet that bore the nails that hung him on the cross. He says he has a voice like the sound of rushing waters. Go ahead, try arguing with, arguing with Niagara Falls someday. I've been there, and the roar is awesome of that great rushing water. His voice is powerful and authoritative, not some wimpy Jesus uh, you know, oh, please, can I help you? Um, you know, I really love you. No, he's thundering with his voice, like a trumpet or these rushing waters. We've seen those two metaphors. This is the same voice that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same voice that said, let there be light. And there was light. And the same voice that's going to call us to him one day. It says, in his right hand are seven stars. These are the angels of the seven stars, chapter or verse uh, 20 tells us. This represents his legal possession. That when you hold something in your right hand, it's the picture of possession. You are the owner. That our Lord Jesus owns the churches. They are his. He's the bride of Christ. Or we are the bride of Christ. He is our bridegroom. He has authority and he has ownership. Then out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. I mean, think of that. Open his mouth and a sword shoots out of his mouth. In many places in scripture, Hebrews 4, Ephesians 6, Revelation 19, we have the picture of this sword being the word of God. His word is true. He will judge with truth and with righteousness. His word is powerful and it's unchangeable. The one place where the devil tries to fight God is to doubt his word. Even back in the very beginning of Genesis 3, did God really say? Is what the devil asked Adam and Eve. Yeah, he really did say because his word is truth. And anytime we begin to deviate from God's word, we find ourselves in serious, grave trouble. Out of his mouth came the sharp, double-edged sword. And it says his face 
shine like the sun in all of its brilliance. Go ahead and try to stare into the sun. Well, matter of fact, don't try to stare into the sun. It'll blind you. Jesus, his face was like the brilliance of the shining sun, but he allows us to stare into his face. In our existence, the sun is the focal point where when it's in the sky, that's what we turn toward. And when it sets, that we are in darkness. Jesus is that focal point. And if we turn away from him, we're in darkness. When you look at the sun, you go away with that little blind spot in your eyes, you know? And man, when we look at the sun, we look at something like no other. He is the light of the world. And Revelation 21, 22 says, there will be no sun in heaven for he himself will be the illumination. Now think of these descriptions. What an amazing thing that John saw. This, this being with head and hair like wool and snow, with eyes like blazing fire, with feet of bronze, with a voice of rushing waters, with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, with a face like the sun, holding seven stars in his right hand and dressed in this robe with a golden sash. This is no wimpy Jesus. This is the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The fourth verb, when John saw this in verse 17, he says, and I fell down. John's response is to fall before him. Now remember, John saw the original Jesus 65 years or so before this. He saw what Jesus looked like walking around on this earth. He saw him teaching. He saw him healing. He saw him crucified. He saw him resurrected. But this is not the same Jesus he saw. He said, Lord, there's something different about you. Is it the hair? Gotten a bit older? Did you do something with your eyes? <laughs> What's this fire? John saw this and he fell at his feet. You know, there's really only one appropriate posture when we see Jesus face to face, when we walk into his presence, and that's to bow before him, to fall at his feet. When God reveals himself in his glory to us, Philippians 2, 10, 11 says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's actually a fifth verb. It's not the verbs of John, however. It's the verb of Jesus. In verse 17 and 18, when John fell down on his face before this incredible sight, says, and Jesus placed his right hand on me. When we bow down, when we humble ourselves, Jesus lifts us up. says, he placed his right hand on me, the hand of authority, the hand of majesty, the hand of ownership and possession. And he said, don't be afraid. Little child, don't be afraid. I've got you. Jesus is always reassuring us. Do you know there's a do not be afraid 365 times in the Bible? That's one do not be afraid for every day of the, of the year. Perfect love casts out all fear. We don't have to be afraid. And then he begins to describe, John, this is why you don't have to be afraid. I'm the first and the last. In other words, I'm in control. I've been here from the beginning, and I'm going to be here when everything is done. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going away. No one can defeat me. It's okay, John. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. He says, I am the living one who was dead and is now alive forever and ever. John, death can't even hold me. Death seems like something you should be afraid of. But don't worry. Don't be afraid. Because I am the living one and I've got you. If I'm living and you're in me, you're going to live. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know, the devil is not the, not the 
the, the, the ruler of hell or Hades or death. He's, he's, he's its main prisoner. He knows what his future is. The Lord Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. And the Hades is not the lake of fire. Hades is that grave. It's the intermediate point. That when people die today, they don't go right into hell. This is a different teaching for a different day. You'll probably get into it at the end of the book. But there's this place called torments, Jesus talks about. And it's the grave. But then one day after judgment, the lake of fire will be opened. And then all will be judged. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades, John. Nobody else has control over that. Christ is coming back. And we need to respond like John did. Whenever we get into the presence of Jesus, let's respond like him. Let's hear him. Let's turn to him. And when we see him, we will have no really appropriate response but to bow before him. And when we humble ourselves, it's so beautiful that our Lord Jesus will reach down, place his hand on us, say, my son, my daughter, you're mine. You belong to me. I've got you. Don't be afraid. In today's world, there might be things that you're afraid of. Politics, culture, just world's crazy right now. It really, really is. But hear the word. Don't be afraid. He's with us. I'm going to close with this little kind of a cute story. A father had told his son that he would send him to sleep in the attic with only bread and water for his supper if he broke the house rules one more time. Well, the disobedient child did disobey again, and his father had to stay true to his word and sent him to the attic. But the father was just broken inside, and he couldn't eat himself. He had the boy on his mind and on his heart because he loved him. But his wife said, I know what you're thinking, but you cannot bring the boy down from the attic. It would cause him to disobey again. He would have no respect for your word. You must not cheapen your relation relation as a father by failing to keep your promise. To which the husband replied, you're right. I will not break my word. To do so would cause my son to lose respect and he wouldn't honor it. But he's so lonely and broken up there. So he kissed his wife goodnight, climbed up to the attic himself, ate bread and water with the boy, wrapped him himself around him to keep him warm. And when the child fell asleep on the hard floorboards, his father's arm was his pillow. Kind of a cute little story. But you know what? That's really the story of Jesus. He knows we're in sin. He knows we're broken. He knows we've done it again and again and again. But he came to us. And he's revealing himself to us saying, I've got you. Will you turn to me? Will you, will you let me be your comforter? Let me be your salvation? Don't be afraid. He'll lift you up. Hope this chapter's helpful for you today. It's a powerful one. Next time we'll get into chapter two. But today let's remember the verbs. When you hear his voice, turn to him. And then when you see him, humble yourself and bow before him. And that's the person Jesus will lay his hand on and lift you up. Hope everything's just Christ-centered with you today. Keep your mind on him. Until next time, this is Pastor Greg with Life 66. God bless you. And let's keep our eyes on Jesus.